Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. This particular edition, I was sick and couldn't make it to the show. And as a result, I could not record it with my usual mic. Erica, however, a hero, recorded it with her iPhone. It's not quite the same quality as usual, but I think it's still listenable. It was recorded on October 3rd, 2018 at Chicago's Cafe Mustache. I hope you enjoy it. Well, it's Tom Word here. <laughs> These are the words that he would speak. So this was a bad one, huh? I'm not going to talk much about the hearings with Dr. Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh because I'm not equipped to talk about it with the gravity that it requires. I am not a good enough writer and also am a boy. <laughs> Suffice it to say that it was painful beyond all reckoning. This month was a bone grinder that waged a constant assault on our souls, the full weight of centuries of accumulated evil pressing a drill bit into our hearts. We live in a society that is actively anti-life, and it is, it is, and is reveling in the fact that it no longer has to pretend otherwise. It doesn't help that even as we are smacked in the face daily with no-win scenarios, there exists a very prominent parallel world where the incompetent, venal, and deranged among us are catapulted to astronomical wealth and prestige simply by being born into the catapult bucket. The shrill prep nominated to the Supreme Court really makes this reality hard to ignore. When I was in high school, in the 2000s, I spent every evening playing F-Zero on the GameCube and watching weird niche comedy, thinking maybe if I practice writing and try very hard and be very nice to people, one day they will let me go on stage and tell a joke. Meanwhile, Every fucking 15-year-old helmet-haired King Joffrey from the Hamptons is like, I will do ever so many crimes today, and then Papa will give me a bank for my treats. I like my treats ever so much. Even if one of us strikes gold and finds success, wealth culture itself is tainted, and we would immediately turn to shit. Case in point, J.K. Rowling. A woman who seems determined to erase her legacy as beloved children's author, and replace it with weirdly, proudly transphobic curator of an ever-less-compelling content-milled, drip-feeding, addicted adults made up facts about Wizardland, and all the facts are weird and racist. <laughs> Hot take. Harry Potter is not good enough to still care about in 2018. No one cares what Ilvermorny house you are. <laughs> Ilvermorny is made up. But back on track. This month, JK revealed the backstory of Voldemort's pet snake, Nagini. You'd be forgiven for thinking that Nagini's backstory was that it was a snake Voldemort found. You probably wouldn't think, that can't be it. You're not racist enough. But JK did. Turns out Nagini the snake is not a snake, but an Asian woman born with a blood curse that turned her into a snake later. JK presumably did this to add more women of color to her franchise, and predictably this has been her defense against any criticism, but let's review. Yeah. An Asian woman, against her will, becomes a non-human animal known for being mysterious, deadly, and untrustworthy. Basically a step away from the Siamese cats from Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> she was fated from birth to have her agency stolen from her for no reason. The curse is only transferable to women, a fact made way worse, knowing Rowling's big-time transphobia. She has then made a possession of wizard Hitler, and then a brave child cuts her head off with a magic good boy sword in a scene unambiguously written as a noble hero's 
moment. All of this was revealed as marketing for new wizard Pokemon movie starring a wife abuser. This is a side effect of the unmasked evil of the death cults that rules our lives. It started to suffuse pop culture in extremely bizarre ways. Our escapist fluff is starting to get worse and confusing from exposure. And it is a trip to see. Steak, um, a food item I legitimately thought was for dogs, is on Twitter posting aching essays of existential pain. Honestly, the name Steakum is two steps away from bedding strips. I don't have to kind of pass it up as people food. But it's not all bad. There was a light in the darkness this month, but this was the kind, it wasn't the kind of light that takes a stand against the darkness or fights against it. This was born of the darkness. It was formed from the blackest heart of society. It's a void with no bottom that somehow makes the abyss feel like home. I am, of course, talking about Gritty. <laughs> if you don't know Gritty, and I can tell some of you don't, you're welcome in advance. Gritty is incredible. Gritty whips ass. I love Gritty. Gritty is the mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers hockey team. He is a fucking hideous orange beast with the worst face. He is a filthy biker daddy with a halo of stringy orange hair, wreathing his face like the flames around the eye of Sauron. His bulbous eyes are wrenched open way too far, and they sway wildly with his every motion. His mouth is a fucking sardonic grin, somewhere between a corpse's rictus smile and the face you make when you realize your enemies are dead. This is Erica, as an aside, I'm a little bit sexually attracted to Gritty. <laughs> Everything about Gritty is terrible, and I love it. So much of what we see is hypermanaged, focus-grouped, and trend-optimized. Gritty is a disgusting filth golem who immediately threatens to murder another mascot. There is no fucking explanation to anything about him. Why is he named Gritty, an unpleasant name that engenders immediate discomfort upon hearing it? No one knows! Fucking for asking! What is he supposed to be? Is he a, a flyer? Is this what the... Flyers have been all along? No, shut up! He's nothing! He's not a fucking thing! He's gritty! I can't think it's a coincidence that gritty is from Philadelphia, the same city with the thematic, a monstrous green baseball demon that looks like shit. Philly is insanely ahead of the curve with regard to abstract, non-representational mascot yetis, and we're all 2018. Gritty is uploading your resume to a job application and having to retype everything to a form that auto-filled extremely incorrectly. Gritty is when your boss asks if you tried networking with your peers and you go, uh, yeah, I'll try that. As you think to yourself, all my peers work at eight coffee shops. Gritty is the feeling of waking up tired on Sunday and having so much shit to do for your dumb projects no one cares about, and then it's three and you forget to eat lunch, and you're like, fuck it, I deserve a treat, and you order delivery, because you're too hungry to focus on making food, but it takes longer to get there than it would to cook anything, so you're so hungry when it arrives, and you take your first bite, and you're like, ugh, 
This is terrible. You eat it all anyway because you can't stop, and then you ate too much, and your stomach hurts so much, and the idea of eating is actively disgusting to you, and you're disgusted that you did it, and it's dinner time, and you're still uncomfortably full, so you just sit there. You sit there, feeling unmoored as another day slips away, and what did you even do today? You didn't even leave that house, just look at more screens, and then it's one in the morning, and you're finally hungry, but it's late, and you're so tired. You've been tired for hours, so you go to bed feeling bad and empty, and the last thing you see before you fall asleep is gritty. <laughs> gritty is incredible. Everything about him is bad. He sucks ass and is barely even a hockey mascot. I forget that he is one all the time, and that's why we need more gritty. He's ugly. He's awful and makes no sense. His presence is a major problem that gives your mind an undeniable pain. But at least he's honest. There's no agenda. There's nothing underneath. Nothing trying to hurt you or convince you that the things you see with your own eyes every day aren't fair. Gritty is bad, and I love him. In a hellish world that seems more absurd every day, Gritty is real, and that's worth something. Thank you. So uh, my understanding was that there was supposed to be a, a murder of boomers here, a whole gang of baby boomers here, and uh, I'm glad that they could take time away from listening to James Taylor and checking the compound interest rate on their many retirement accounts. I'm only making that joke because Tom said I needed to make a joke about baby boomers thus pitting my two strongest desires against each other. Number one, the desire to impress Tom. And number two, the desire to win the approval of Tom's dad. <laughs> I guess Tom won tonight. Now, we're going to begin the op-ed portion of the evening, but before we do that, we're going to have Kevin up here with a fake news quiz. Kevin, take it away! About, well, he mentioned through Erica about Gritty. It's just like how he actually lives his life, and it sounds very unhealthy. <laughs> That's probably why Tom's sick tonight. Please help me. Uh, there's donations at the door. They will go to uh, the Make-A-Wish for Tom Foundation. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so this is uh, basically like two truths and a lie, except with the news, so it matters a little more. Um, all I need is a volunteer. Any, anyone, please. Tom's dead. Oh, I thought you said Tom's dead. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, God damn, that escalated. Do, do you want? Do you want? Yeah. You were voluntold. I hope you've been paying attention to the news. Or it doesn't really matter, honestly. Alright, so, yeah, so it's like, I'm gonna give you three stories, and then three stories, and then three stories. Of each of those sets, time your phone fail. You got that, you got that. Alright. You wanna tell the audience your name? My name is Jeff Harrison. Tom's dad. That's, that's all on his license that Tom's dad. Everyone knows what it means. I have four other children. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> this first one is a lot weirder now that I'm talking to Tom's dad. Um, 
So the first story is Kanye West uh, directed the first ever Pornhub Awards. Wait, wait, sorry, what? Who? Kanye West? <laughs> Kanye West. So he's, you, you know him? Yeah. Okay, that's good. I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to ask whether you know what Pornhub is. Um, but they had an awards show and he directed it. It's uh, basically the, uh, the gist of that. Uh, the second story is a lot easier to say. Um, a woman mistakes dynamite for a candle during power outage. Mm. Story three. After new research, Pluto is on track to begin, uh, sorry, to again become a planet. I think Kanye West is really crazy, so I think he's probably, that's probably, that's probably uh, true fact. True fact, yeah, true yeah. fact. Uh, Kanye is crazy, yeah. that's a true fact. <laughs> Regardless of the headline, that is true. And uh, I'm going to go with the Pluto. Uh, yeah, Pluto's still dead. It sucks. No. Fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah, There's like, really bring it back. No, there, there are some people being like, oh yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, we've got some new I research. Back, and then the astronomers are like, no, that's not cool. Shut up. Okay. Okay. Second set. First story. Uh, there's a shittily face tattooed rapper named Little Zane. Or Zan, sorry, Zan for Xanax. I'll take your word for that. Yeah. Just take my word for it. I don't, I don't, what have I heard of his? Nothing. I just know he sucks. Anyway, he was hospitalized for eating too many flaming Hot Cheetos. Is that real? I don't know. It's like, yeah, I'm so hard, thug life. Son. Hot Cheetos took me out. Second story, Trump's EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, says a little radiation may be good for you. Yeah, just a little bit. Stand in front of the mic and we're, you know, naked, a little bit, a little bit. Third story, a recall of 2 million Ford F-150 trucks sparked by seatbelt fires. People are concerned for the F1. <laughs> like, holy shit. I'm going to go with the seatbelt fires. Oh, no, they're seatbelt fires. <laughs> they're not seatbelt fires. The, the little radiation one is not true, but they are loosening the restriction on radi radiation levels. So there's two that are not true? No, no, no. No, no, no. There, there no, are seatbelt fires. That's the one that is untrue. There you go. We got right there. Alright, third set of stories. People are telling me I should go to jail, says a tennis fan who dumped her chicken tenders into Coke. Like as a fucking topic. She should go to jail, even if I made that up. Second story. The TSA uh, detains an Iranian woman because she listed her birthday as 9 11. Like, true or not, everyone's like, that's sad, it probably happened anyway. Yeah. Uh, third story, uh, pharma CEO jacks up the price 400% on the drug, citing a moral requirement to make money. Like a true American. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the third one. Oh no, that's so true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so true. Uh, the, the TSA did not detain this person. Um, there was a woman, though, that like accidentally ticked that she was a terrorist on her visa form. And so they're like, oh, you can't come into the country. <laughs> right, like, kind of rightfully so. It's like, you said you were a terrorist. Like, 
Yeah, that is, that is nice. That is a nice change of pace in eyes. Yes. Uh, so, thank you. Thank you for coming on the stage. I'm sure we have many of them at home. She's like, I don't even want it. I have so many at home. That's good. Yeah. Erica, you're you're the host of the evening, and you are you are very much in a seated position, which is you you're gonna be on the stage like now. You're just gonna sip your drink. Yeah. You're gonna sip your non-alcoholic virgin drink. I was going to, but I was saying you were sitting down. I was like, I don't want to cue you. Get all the whatever. Erica, welcome back to the stage. So I'm gonna leave. Everybody, this is our last cure show before the next election. When is the next election? It's November 6th. When is the next election? Let's hear it one more time. When's the next election? November 6th. Are you registered to vote? Yes. Everybody all at once. Where is your polling place? one person at the skewer, but it is my my goal and my hot little political science heart to register someone. No questions asked, and I will give you candy if you register tonight. So there's no no harm. Our next uh, op-ed reader, our first op-ed reader, is extremely good writer and comedian, Sonal Adderwal. Welcome to the stage. article, I asked myself four minutes before I came on stage. <laughs> it is a piece deriving his name originally from having appeared opposite the editorial page in a newspaper. You guys know what a newspaper is? I call it Facebook. <laughs> I don't know, Twitter. That, I don't, I'm too old school for that. Today, the term is used more widely to represent a column that represents a strong I got strong, down, definitely, informed, and focused, I'm very focused, opinion of the writer, I wrote shit down, on an issue of relevance to a targeted audience. Are you guys ready to talk about Bill Cosby? Yeah! yeah. Oh shit, y'all, let's get the divine feminine on the rise up here. I think I'm going to switch mics, I can't. Here we are, on um, whatever the date is today, my name is Samuel Underwall, and in the world's most relevant story of he said, she said, we are busy comparing stories and focusing in on writing about which piece of fruit falling from this fucked up tree is the pussiest, instead of scaling out looking around and asking, why has this toxic tree been growing for so long? <laughs> Shit's getting real, y'all. I know. I'm like, okay, this is like comedy homework. This is, I don't know if this is going to be funny, but it's going to be very empowering. Okay, cool. So dope. I mean, this is actually, um, this is a good thing. 
This is, it's the metaphor of what's happening right now, like America's dad is in prison and we are worried about whether or not he's going in for long enough. Motherfucker is blind. First of all, why is Bill Cosby drugging people in the first place? Like, you're Bill Cosby, dude. You got swag. You're good. You don't need to be doing any of that shit. So, what, I mean, like, how can we be talking about a consent culture if America's dad is like, oh no, actually, my whole thing is like the absolute opposite of that? Oh man. Guys, this is you guys, uh, did you guys hear about the Louis C.K. Louis C.K. thing? Yeah. We heard about this shit. We heard about the fact that this, like this is a dude that needs to get his clothes off. What is happening? What kind of world are we living in where that's even like a thing? Can you imagine any of us being out and I'm like, yo, let's go back to my hotel room. I'm not trying to hook up or anything. Is it cool if I just get naked and touch myself? That would be kind of fucked up. Right? But it's, it's like this kind of shit. Okay, so he went back less than a year after all this shit went down, Louie, right? He went back and he did comedy at the Comedy Cellar in New York. The owner said that he was asleep when Louie came in. Aparna, Nancharla, another fellow uh, brownie on the rise. <laughs> wrote a pretty dope article in response to this saying, okay, yeah, the owner, Gnome, was asleep when Louis showed up. In that sense, the Me Too movement demonstrates that as a money-driven society, we've been asleep to the continued marketing and monetization of non-users for years. That's kind of dope, right? Like, that's, these conversations are happening and we gotta show the fuck up. She was so uncomfortable. She was so uncomfortable, but we gotta be grateful that it's happening, for real. Ladies, those of us who uh, identify as ladies, whatever form of human that we come in, we need to understand that we, as women, existing as human beings, is like a very new thing. We're humans. Kind of, almost. Give it up for that. <laughs> for real though, this is extremely dope for me that I get the opportunity to get up here and uh, just yell at you guys and preach my stuff. Because like we, we gotta really align ourselves. These are incredible opportunities to align ourselves with compassion and patience and understanding. Because that's the only way that we can go up against this crazy ass machine right now. I mean, like the idea, like I come. From India. You guys ever been? Anybody been? It's a little crowded. Yeah, okay. Brown Town, Brown Town's been. Yeah, I hope it's not nice. You've been there. Been from the Gulf. Is there a, you know what I'm saying? Like, we come from a country, like many countries in the world, where it's like women's rights? This is like some like American concept. No? That's the world that we're living in. That's what we're living in. So when we're focused in on whether or not Bill Cosby needed to be actually taking people 
people's consent away and abusing his power in such a sense. And now it's like we're arguing about whether or not he did it. There's no actual evidence. I don't know what this world is that we're living in, but I hope we're showing up with fucked up stuff and learning to listen to each other. Because we're like, are you making a point? Am I making a point? Are we feeling our feelings? That's a pretty good point. Everybody's worried about their heroes falling. Bro, if Louis C.K. or Bill Cosby was your hero, I'm sorry that it's so uncomfortable for you that you need to get a new hero. You don't, you, don't, you don't need to defend these guys. It's okay. We are shaking up the curb tree and oh how the mighty are coming raining down. I like, uh, I, I got to, I don't really dig deep into the news. It's dangerous. You know, I, if you guys actually watch the shit, the account of all these women that are coming forth, it is hard. It is painful. And these motherfuckers are like, hey, like these women that were in the comedy club when Louis C.K. came in, if you're a survivor and you know what that's like, that visceral experience of your body coming on like fight or flight mode, and you haven't had that kind of experience happen to you, and you're like, bro, if you don't like Louis, you can just leave. That kind of victim blaming bullshit, you know what I'm saying? Like. Give thanks that you have not been assaulted enough. Yeah. And you lack the fucking experiential empathy to know what it is. So when you hear these motherfuckers telling people like, hey, it's all good, just leave. I need all of you non-rapey dudes. That's so fucked up. That's the world we're living in. Like, you either a rapey or a non-rapey dude. I don't need you guys to like put your hands in there or anything. <laughs> Make some noise. No, that's what the fuck. But those of you who are like, what do we do? How do we show up? Because I get it, you know, like the, the good dudes, the decent dudes, y'all are probably fucking terrified right now to do anything, right? Fuck all that shit. You have a lot, we have limitless power. You guys gotta show up, listen to each other, believe each other, create these spaces. Create dialogue, show up for the really uncomfortable shit. Believe each other. And I don't know about Bill, but I hope the whole patriarchy gets to sit in prison. God, we're living in it. We're either telling the truth or lying duality, and a lot of nuance is being lost in the conversation. This all takes all kinds of forms. Cat calling, that shit is. Who does that? Who cat calling? You want to celebrate beauty in the world around you, you want to honor the goddess divine in all of her glorious forms, fucking write a poem. <laughs> okay, and you're shouting out your car. Okay, and I, I really hope uh, Bill Cosby, you know, gets his ass beat a little bit in jail. And uh, yeah, that's the news. I'm showing <laughs> 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 skewer home with you. We've got the skewer book. We've also got last year's book. And we're selling them two for one tonight. Now I bet 
I bet I could just open to a random page and find something super funny. Oh, here's a random page. Um, when the devil appeared in my dream, he sat in a chair and asked me to approach. He was actually porn star Stephen St. Croix, and I gave him head, and I was good at it. I didn't make a deal with him. I'm a Buddhist, for Christ's sake. Mm. See, you were laughing. What do you want to take that home with you tonight? And then we've got, uh, from Nora Regis, we've got, uh, can you smell what the rock is cooking? It's freedom. And Nora Regis is our next reader right now. Nora Regis. and other big machine operators. <laughs> By night, she tells stories and crochets. Give it up for Nora. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, well, uh, today, with all that's been going on lately, with the Republicans and the Supreme Court refusing to believe or even consider women, I would like to talk about one woman in particular, Martha Mitchell. She was very famous in the 1970s, and if you ask the baby born in the back, they might hopefully remember her, I think. Uh, <laughs> she was the wife of John Mitchell, Nixon's first attorney general, closest confidant, and head of the campaign to reelect the president, aka Creep. <laughs> you may have heard of them. They are who did Watergate. Martha was very loud and lovable and super fun at parties. They called her the mouth of the South. When men would break off after dinner to drink scotch and talk power, she'd bust in in a hula skirt and steal their booze. She was extremely outspoken during Nixon's first term when he was trying to get his picks confirmed for the Supreme Court. When it was obvious that his first choice wasn't going to go through due to financial conflicts, she personally called every senator's wife and tried to Regina George them into getting their husbands to vote yes. It didn't work. It pissed a fair number of people off, but in the end, everyone was just kind of like, oh, that's Martha being Martha. She loved to listen to her husband's phone calls, and when he'd be like, Martha, get off the line, she'd just listen from a scarce landing. <laughs> her biggest hobby was getting lit at government dinners, learning all the gossip, and then calling reporters and repeating everything that she heard on record. <laughs> so renowned was she for this habit that she went on laughing, which for those of you that don't know, was the sketch show where Goldie Hawn would dance around and Lily Tomlin played a ditzy telephone operator. They did a whole bit with Martha on the phone with Lily Tomlin and it killed. Asked about his wife's outbursts in the first term of the Nixon presidency, Mr. Mitchell replied, what else can I do but let her speak? She has no inclination to be quiet. She's just saying what she feels. Nobody around here tries to throttle her. This would prove to be creepy foreshadowing. <laughs> now, she sounds like a girl that I would get along with until I remember that she's straight up Serena Joy from The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> she is 53% of white women that voted for Trump that says that they were just doing it for a party, but actually, because mm, she was very <laughs> pro keeping schools segregated. And she was married to the man that delivered the South to Richard Nixon through the most race-baiting campaign that America had seen until... <laughs> <laughs> 
Lily Tomlin refused to share a stage with her, and the laughing people had to shoot the whole thing split screen. <laughs> that said, speaking as a mouthy woman who also sometimes snoops on her boyfriend's phone, <laughs> enjoys drinking, and takes to Twitter in the middle of the night, it is very funny to me that a woman like this came so close to the White House and ended up being such a thorn in the president's side. In the spring of 1972, Martha's late night press calls started getting weirder. She vaguely hint that Nixon was up to a lot of dirty tricks and that he was setting her husband up for something. Nixon hired a bodyguard named Steve King, not our congressman or the beloved writer, to keep an eye on her. And when Watergate broke, King locked Martha in a hotel room so that she couldn't see or hear any news. Somehow, she still got a copy of the newspaper, and when she saw the front page, she realized all her fears were coming true. Her husband was making false statements defending Richard Nixon, and that later landed in jail. Frantic, she called her favorite reporter, Helen Thomas, and started to spill everything. Then, Thomas says, she heard screaming, stop, get away from me, stop, and then the line went dead. When Thomas tried calling back, she was told by an operator that Martha was indisposed and she wouldn't be taking any calls. A few days later, another female reporter tracked Martha down. She was covered in black and blue marks with cuts on her hands and arms. She explained that she'd been held kidnapped for several days without food. Steve King, the bodyguard, wouldn't leave the room while she undressed. At one point, she tried to escape through a window. Steve King then called the doctor and the two of them pinned her to a bed pulled down her pants, and tranquilized her. She was drugged repeatedly during those several days. Nixon and his people dismissed this as the ravings of a drunk party girl. They called her crazy and said that she was never kidnapped, just thrown into a sanitarium after a mental break. Martha insisted on her truth, but her story was regulated to the women's pages of newspapers, because those were the only writers who would believe her. After years of drunken tips on the goings-on in Washington, the political press didn't take her seriously either. As the Watergate cover-up unraveled, Martha and her husband were no longer speaking. John Mitchell became a broken recluse. Martha was disgusted by his weakness and his inability to speak up for her. She gave him an ultimatum, her or the president. And even though John Mitchell resigned, when sentenced to prison, John Mitchell told the press, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. They could have sentenced me to spend the rest of my life with Martha Mitchell. A year later, she died of cancer, alone and broke. History has proven that Martha's allegations were all true. Other people involved in Watergate confirmed it, and Richard Nixon himself said, unprompted, that if it hadn't been for Martha Mitchell, Watergate wouldn't have happened because, quote, John wasn't minding the store, unquote. She's even made the DSMV. The Martha Mitchell effect is the term for when the medical establishment dismisses someone as delusional when they were right the entire time. But just because we believe her now, her story still doesn't matter to the GOP. Steve King, the bodyguard, is our current ambassador to the Czech Republic. He was confirmed by Donald Trump in 2017. After Watergate, he went on to own a chemical manufacturing company and then became the head of the Republican Party of Wisconsin, where he became friends with Paul Ryan. Despite the fact that he has never denied holding Martha Mitchell captive or drugging her, he wasn't asked about the incident during his confirmation proceeding. I don't tell you this story to say that Martha Mitchell was a good woman. She wasn't. 
But like all the women coming forward this past month, Martha Mitchell tried to tell the truth and was met by Republican men attacking her memory and her sanity. We're in a moment right now where it feels like maybe, just maybe, more people are believing women. But even if we do believe them, we need to take it a step further. We need men to be held accountable for their actions. Yeah. significant action is meaningless. That's why senators can pay lip service to Dr. Blasey Ford calling her credible. That's why Republicans are going to claim allegations were investigated thoroughly but never actually let the FBI interview key witnesses. That's why Steve King is eating goulash on the taxpayer's dime right now. I don't have an ending for this story. I was trying to think of something hopeful and I can't. Because the story of Martha Mitchell just keeps repeating itself in some form or another. It's been a really long week on top of a really long month, on top of a really long presidential administration. And all I can really tolerate at this point are memes about moths and lamps. <laughs> so I'm just going to say this. Please vote on November 6th. Yeah. <laughs> at the box office. 
which comes as no surprise as pretty much every Asian person I know saw Crazy Rich Asians at least three times. <laughs> That's a lot of money spent on tickets and concessions, though maybe not so much on parking at the theater because if your Asian family is anything like my Asian family, they would rather park half a mile away, to, uh, <laughs> half a mile away rather than be 1475 to park in the garage. Which is fine because that's more money you have to spend on dinner with the family at Tank Noodle allows the Schwan and after the show. And there are so many awesome Asian actors to play awesome Asian parts. So step aside, Emma Stone. Move over, Scarlett Johansson. Because Constance Wu and Lana Condor will be happy to take over, to take back any Asian roles you may have been eyeballing for the sake of looking edgy or cool. And if you're not careful, Constance Atlanta will steal a white lady role from you faster than you can read a report from the USC Annenberg School for Communication that said, as of 2016, only 5% of speaking roles went to Asian Americans, and that only 1% of lead, only 1 of lead roles in film went to them, while white actors got 76.2% of lead roles. The opportunity to present at the Asian Awards is one I was ecstatic to accept on behalf of all Asians everywhere. So the nominees for Best Asian in an Asian Role are <laughs> Aquafina for Stealing Jewelry in Ocean's 8 and Stealing Scenes in Crazy Rich Asians, <laughs> Aparna Nancherla who managed to be funny without sexually harassing other comedians, unlike Louis C.K., John Cho for being a goddamn snack in general, <laughs> and specifically in movies such as Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, Star Trek, and Surging, which is now out in theaters. Hassan Minaj, that funny hot dude from The Daily Show and comedy specials on Netflix that I've been meaning to watch. <laughs> and Sandra Oh, who you know as the Canadian-American superstar of Grey's Anatomy and Killing Eve. And so the winner is... It goes to me, but I wasn't even nominated. I wasn't even nominated. Surely this must be a mistake. But even if it is, none of the other nominees are here anyway, so I'm going to accept it before Scarlett Johansson tries to take it away from me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Or Shay Shay, Domo Arigato, and Salamat. I would say it was an incredible privilege to be nominated, but I wasn't actually nominated, so I don't know what that feels like. I just know that I won. And I'm pretty sure whoever that winning this award beats the pants off of not winning it. I know I stand here as a singular example of Asian excellence, but I didn't get here on my own. I have so many people to thank, starting with my hard-ass Asian immigrant parents for crushing my childhood dreams of being an actor. So in adulthood, I scratched that itch by making audiences such as yourselves listen to me read personal essays about my hard-ass Asian immigrant parents who crushed my childhood dreams. I would also like to thank those white actors who are only too happy to pull on yellow face and therefore set a horrific precedent for Asian representation in Hollywood because you guys set the bar so incredibly low when you didn't even really have to. I'd also like to thank OG and Asian American actors and movie stars like Anna Mae Wong, Kitty Luke, Pat Morita, Mindy Kaling, Constance Wu, Hudson Yang, Kumail Nanjiani, Lisa, Lisa, Lucy Liu, Danny Pudi, Rosalind Chow, Lauren Tom, Tamara Tamita, Kunal Nair, the goddess Ming-Na Wen, Randall Rama Murphy, Randall Park, Naveen Andrews, B.D. Wong, Harry Shum Jr., Cal Penn, Ali Wong, Lou Diamond Phillips, Amy Hill, and Ken Jeong. I also have a special shout out to the OG Margaret Motherfucking Cho. Woo! 
And let's not forget the late legend Bruce Lee. Yes. So for me to be singled out as the best Asian in a field of exemplary Asian American Asians or Asian Americans is an honor, an honor that I totally deserve. <laughs> I work super hard at being Asian, like literal years have been devoted to the study and practice of my Asian-dom. I have become the Asian I've always wanted to be, that I always knew I could be, an Asian you rarely have ever seen on the big screen. And it was not easy to be this Asian growing up. I struggled the entire way. It was a seemingly impossible feat to imagine myself as a positive Asian role model and icon when there were so few for me to feel like me to like myself to emulate. Because before to all the boys I loved before, like in Larry and Covey, we had Long Duck Dawn from Sixteen Candles. Before Rachel Chu from Crazy Rich, Crazy Rich Asians, we had, I don't know, Miss Saigon. And if that's all we had, then that's really seriously fucked up. I take the responsibility of being a real Asian instead of a perfect role model for little Asians everywhere very seriously. And I know you're out there. I can see you clenching a violin in your sweaty hands or taking a practice LSAT. You're thinking, I don't want to be a perfect Asian, whatever that means. I want to be a real Asian. I want to be myself, just like her. So it's October now. Filipino American History Month, coincidentally. So I'm sorry that the warm, giddy days of Asian August are over, but join me in relishing and celebrating the beginning of Asian autumn and all the Asian seasons that shall come after. In the words of my fellow nominee at the, at the Emmys this year, it's an honor just to be Asian. Thank you and good night. So happy, most iconic role, of course, being Keiko O'Brien in Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> you did not applaud for that. And I feel like I don't know who you are anymore. Our last op-ed writer of the evening is the writer of Animals on Buses and winner of Chicago Readers 2017. So when I signed up for this, I was gonna like, my goal was to write something about the Jason Van Dyke case, but there ain't shit funny about that, right? So let's, so I'll write about Drake. I knew Aubrey Graham as Jimmy from the second incarnation of Canada's seminal teenage propagandist primetime melodrama, The Grassy High, The Next Generation. Star Wars. Star Trek, I mean, I did that. Which was a watered down version of United Kingdom's teen drama Skins, which was an attempt to financially capitalize on Harmony Corinne's success with the movie Kids, which is, yet again, a bastardized, insultingly romanticized version of actual events uh, that a great many high school-aged children in poor neighborhoods deal with. <laughs> Harmony Corinne had way too much fun making kids, dude. <laughs> Have you watched that movie as like an adult? You're like, dude, what the fuck? You were 30 when you made this. <laughs> like, why do you care that much? What's up with you? What's up with you? What are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Following this vein of fairly dangerous glorification of adolescence 
Degrassi tackled a great many issues among the more comically overt visible thongs, getting high before the college fair, and abusing abusing laxatives to make weight for the wrestling team, taking too much meth, that's real I guess, taking, I guess they, they took too much meth in the Degrassi, and what episode is that? And then they found a dead body. <laughs> this is all in Canada. <laughs> How funny is that? But in its defense, it also tackled material that felt more pertinent. Debates on pro-life, pro-choice, the complex nature of sexuality, suicidal ideation, spousal abuse, mental disability, and LARPing. Oops, that's in the wrong section. <laughs> Aubrey Graham, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> Aubrey Graham, who currently plays judo, Judeo Caribbean Texan mobster raps. <laughs> Aubrey Graham, who currently plays Judeo Caribbean Texas Texan mobster rapper and R&B artist Drake. Originally played Jimmy on Degrassi. Jimmy was a stereotypical sad boy wannabe rapper. His story arcs were usually the least compelling, and he often played background roles. One, of, he was one of those characters in a more important character's bedroom scene discussing the more important character's girl issues. Jimmy was the character with the sexist opinion. Dunk that slut. Hey, watch it, Jimmy. <laughs> that was great. Jimmy, however, was the blackest kid in the grassy high, so he was awarded some level of acceptance. He became the aficionado on hip-hop. He was a gatekeeper of sorts. If black culture is an alternate dimension, Aubrey was Stargate. Jimmy was starting and said, I'm fucked up. Liquidy and pulsating and sort of gross. Not the best option, but the only option. <laughs> after the grassy ended, or more succinctly, after I had outgrown it, I didn't hear much from Arby Graham until he donned the new mantle. I first began listening to Drake with a song, Best I Ever Had, which should be regarded without intelligent dispute as a seminal song of millennial growth. Uh, he would go on to release colossal waves of certified bangers. He rose to glory at a time where scene music was being strangled out by autotune and hip-hop fashion was transitioning from the baggy to the skin tight. Lil Wayne had begun skateboarding and the shins were making music for movies. It was a change of the guard. And Drake was there to usher us in. <laughs> he represented the spirit of the emo scene with the edge of rap. He was like getting a ride to the mall, but keeping an extra set of pants in your book bag to change into. <laughs> 
bad. I'm, I'm wearing my pants. Ruler <laughs> bag. What's an impressive life I had. Uh, I'm impressed like we all had. We all impressed. <laughs> Too much fun. Uh, Drake came into prominence in the last few dark years of Twilight. I mean, I'm sorry. The last few dark Twilight years of Kanye being the number, being the number one guy in hip hop. After Rain, after Wayne had relinquished the title for a year in, in Rikers, and after Eminem started getting sober and rapping as Triumph the Insult Comedy Dog. <laughs> we were all looking for a new champion, and it didn't matter that he was a Canadian child actor. <laughs> when Hotline Bling dropped, Drake became a cultural phenomenon. He ate the world. The trees and oceans and buildings stuck in the crevices of his grill. His iconic status was not dissimilar. His iconic rise was not dissimilar to hypnosis, but Canadian hypnosis. Less cloak and dagger and more willful compliance. We let Drake dance and croon and climb neon steps, and before you knew it, he was an insurmountable name, a household name. My dad, a Vietnam vet, that's how old he is, a Vietnam vet who confuses all media, once he confused purple rain with the color purple. <laughs> Real shit. Real shit. Like that, dude. You gotta fucking. Something's gotta fucking happen, dude. Chill out. Uh, who can confuse purple rain with the color purple? Was able to identify Drake in a Sprite commercial. <laughs> And this is truly a haunting thought. Maybe Drake was the catalyst to Sprite taking the throne as the most preferred soft drink by African Americans. Black people love Sprite. We do. Thanks, Drake. When I was writing this bit, I ran it by a friend, and he said, Orlando Jones had Sprite commercials way before Drake. And I said, hey, man, that was 7-Up. You trying to say all clear pops look the same? <laughs> sometime later, sometime later, a show hit Netflix that had a similar social phenomenon and a pertinent force in the zeitgeist. That show was Stranger Things. Hound by the stoic, intimidating, once-in-a-lifetime performance of the character Eleven, portrayed by Millie Bobby Brown, which is the worst name in the history of names. Uh, worst name. Why? But the people who love you name you Millie Bobby Brown. You don't, you don't love your kid. You don't love your kid. You're a piece of shit. You don't love your kid. Which is common. Because who the fuck cares about you? Hey, get the fuck out of here. Why are you whining? <laughs> Everything's free for you, stupid. <laughs> You're going to have a kid soon, so he's fucking. <laughs> you say that. <laughs> Name your kid, really, by the way. Through 
Hollywood, hobnobbing, this is fucked up. Millie and Drake became friends, which wouldn't have been cause for alarm had I not seen an interview with Millie <laughs> in which she detailed the workings of their relationship. Romance advice and dinners and lamentations on how much they missed one another. Uh, yeah, real shit. A 31-year-old texting a 14-year-old about boy issues is like a vampire texting someone for mosquito advice. <laughs> the only real advice Drake can be giving Millie about boys her age is what malls have the most lenient policy on seeing rated R movies without adult supervision. The only reason a 14-year-old girl should text a 31-year-old male is to get him to write her letters of recommendation for an AP book. <laughs> They had dinner? I didn't know Nobu had a kid's menu. <laughs> Perhaps I'm overreacting, and it's no different than a working relationship. One star, one, one star, huge star, giving a rising star advice. Maybe Drake plays mentor, but why have we not heard from other young talents that Drake is mentoring? Does he only like Stranger Things for 11? What about Dustin or Mike? <laughs> I didn't name the black kid on purpose. <laughs> Two on the nose. <laughs> Fuck. Even Rinona Ryder looks like she could use a dinner with Drake. <laughs> so why this 14-year-old? Why not an up-and-coming rapper? Why not any of us? <laughs> not funny. Like I said, perhaps I'm overreacting. But... Hollywood has a powerful and storied history of predatory behavior. Mm. Bowie, Seinfeld, Spacey, Kelly, Leto, Polanski, Allen. Fucking Gandhi used to make young girls sleep in the bed with him, and he drank his own pee. He was breathing on teenage girls with pee breath. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck all this shit, dude. All this shit is fine. Make-believe fucking reality. What the fuck is Drake doing? We root for him. We support him. And we have for so long. He's accessible. He's vulnerable yet braggadocious. He's tough yet sweet. Now I sound like texting Drake. He makes songs for people who want to get drunk and dance, as well as songs for guys who carry guns. He's the personification of class of crossover appeal. And early in the year, we let him get away with having a secret child and multiple ghostwriters. His symbol, his symbol is the owl for Christ's sakes. Owls live within darkness, symbolizing magic and mystery and ancient knowledge. Ancient knowledge. Drake has a song where he repeats the phrase, free smoke. 28 times. <laughs> the owl is a symbol, of, a symbol of mystery. Drake constantly gives listeners his hotel room number. <laughs> and somehow those numbers always include 420. <laughs> we let Drake get away with being a child star from Canada and taking the helm of the most lucrative, 
violent and powerful media since the Roman Colosseum were lying they questioned Christians. When are white people going to bring the Colosseum back? <laughs> you guys are so good at breathing life into other antiquated forms of entertainment. <laughs> Record players have a VHS player. <laughs> when are you guys going to bring back something useful, like White Flight or the Colosseum? <laughs> <laughs> when something like this happens, we need to launch a volley of questions. In these situations, the best cannot be assumed. With wealth, everything in life gets exponentially easier, and that includes our more nefarious proclivities, like preying on children. The rich and elite have a history of it. Grooming is what they started to call it, the way kings used to groom princes, giving them choices, Play them in scenarios they haven't been properly matured to handle. The way Zazu groomed Simba and Nala. The way my <laughs> the way my father groomed me to handle waves of adulthood that cross that crash upon my shores with frigid procedural frequency. But at the end of this grooming, there is no castle to inherit, no family sword to take up, no mantle to hoist. Because the person doing it isn't a king. He's a man who's leading with his dick and interacts with a child. He's a man abusing trust on a grand criminal scale. Thanks. Oh, 
I have, I have been to your home. <laughs> I forgot about that, Kevin. Oh, wow. Oh, oh. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Remember when I went to that ice cream place and had like 25 goddamn scoops? Yeah. They, they have like a hose because they're like, we expect you to just be a fucking mess. You need outside. Okay. In, in December. Oh, yeah. Sounds like fuck. Second, second story. 
the exploding wheelchair, wounds FBI agents at a house, booby traps, I'm sorry, with a booby traps hot tub. That's a lot of shit right there. Yeah. yeah. So there's an FBI agent, goes into this house, gets fucking injured because a wheelchair explodes. Also in this house, there's a booby trapped hot tub. I don't know why, unless I made it up. <laughs> then I do know why, because it would be fake. Now, your third story, NRA TV, which is NRA's TV channel, puts on a KK hood, or sorry, a KKK hood on Thomas the Tank Engine to make a point about diversity. Would they do that? Probably. <laughs> Did it actually happen? Which one is this big? Which one? Yes, Mamba. You see how this is a game? That's how that made it hard, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... B, number two. B, number two. Okay, no, the FBI agent did get hurt by an exploding wheelchair um, in a house that had a fucking. Like, why would you even. Who just have the hot tub? Like, the FBI agent's like, ooh, I'm just gonna take a quick bit. No, so we didn't give kangaroos the Mary Jane, the devil's lettuce, the jazz cigarettes. We didn't do that. No, we gave octopuses Molly. And they were all cuddly. They got all the arms with which to hug you. Isn't that nice? Okay, the third set of stories. Then we will be done. <laughs> then we, we can't go home though, there's a debate after. Uh, right, so, first story. Blue Man Group. You're familiar. I see the billboards, I have not seen the show. Oh, I have not seen the show either. I hear it is acceptable. Blue Man Group understudy is arrested after trying to turn over their pipe instruments into a pipe bomb. Ooh. Ooh. I think I just blew myself. <laughs> no, that's it's an arrested development quote. She, oh my god, she thought that was way worse. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I've been in your home, I would not say that to you. Jesus Christ. We good? We good. I'm thinking about it. Okay, okay. Second story. Video game Fortnite has incited more than in more than 200 divorce proceedings. Danny, you're getting married soon. I don't know if you play that Fortnite. But watch out for that one. Just some Smash Brothers. You gonna get you gonna get smashed, boy. Anyway. When that, when did that come out? Like Christmas time? December 7th. Of course, he knows that to the fucking day. Jesus fucking Christ. What, 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 what time? What, what, what time? What time? He's going to be first in line. Okay. That's the head of the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, third story. Novelist who authored How to Murder Your Husband charged with murdering her husband. <laughs> You gave me a hint already. I'm going to say number one or A. Did I give you a hint? What hint did I give you? <laughs> number one or what A. Is that what 
Final answer. <laughs> that is true. I did not give you any hints. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> what is happening? She's like, you've been in my house without getting your mind. Okay, so what actually happened is that an, uh, a puppet technician for the Lion King uh, was arrested after trying to print a 3D gun. Yay! At a theater. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and the guy that was like trying to make that happen uh, was into children in Thailand and then was deported and then he's in jail now. So, good. That's a happy ending. Well, thank you, Melba. Yeah. You did it. Erica wants to come back on the stage and say something. Oh, no, you're giving, you're giving Melba a sticker to the skewer. Um, oh, so usually Tom would come up here and say words, but he is a sad, sick boy. So now I am forced to take his role. And I have a lot of words to say because you have a long bio, sir. Um, Eric Well is a writer, performer, artivist. Is that true? Is that like activism and art? Yes. Oh man, that's like that's like learning and no, I'm not even gonna get into that. Anyway, he's from Detroit, Michigan. Well, is now. Yeah. He. Have you always been? Yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> well, fuck. I think I knew that at one point, but it is completely. Anyway, I am going very long on this. Uh, he has appeared in a variety of live lit shows between Chicago and the Motor City, including The Paper Machete, Bright Club, and The Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers. Eric has worked with the neo futures of the show Trust Us, Screen You. Consulted on podcasts with Mock Grand Slam champions Shannon Payson, is that right? Payson, and Dave Wilber. And is, current, is a current ensemble member of Too Much Light Makes a Baby Go Blind, Detroit. Eric has been an active producer, host, and idea generator, and is happy to be a co-founder of The Skewer and similar podcasts you don't understand. Welcome to the stage. Writer, comedian, musician, poet, and computer programmer who is funny and nice and extremely good. I want to let you know we have an ongoing thing. Those are not my words. You, she, she wants to be my friend, like really bad. And so I feel like she's technically tricking me into saying really nice things about her, but I'm letting her know. She is on notice. You are on notice, Erica. Please welcome Eric. Erica Dreisbachers. on the precipice of its fourth year of existence, a feat that would literally not be possible without the two of you. <laughs> and also you, like, come on, Tom. What the fuck, Tom? Yes. It's a stunning achievement. It speaks to the strength of the show. Chicago's literary and comedic community and us. But there is nothing that can't be improved. The show cannot be allowed to grow stagnant and stale. Something has to change as it ages. Of course, I can't decide the solution, I being Tom. Um, my brain is a withered husk, I being Tom, that barely functions. Again, I being Tom. In fact, I'm not even here. But I am. 
I'm sick as hell. It, it, it falls to you two to steer this ship similar to glory. The question becomes, how should the steward evolve in year four to help it become even better? What would you be arguing, good sir? Could you, could you read it? I, okay. Actually, no, I can't. It's literally not here. <laughs> Thank you, Tom, for that. I, just got, I, got his, I got his questions. Eric will argue that we should all get black berets and become extremely serious, artistic, avant-garde, spoken word geniuses who love, I don't know, Foucault or Sartre or <laughs> And I will argue that we should shake off our ideals like the shackles they are and instead slavishly follow SEO trends and stream court nights instead of having a live-lit show. Well, I about to say this to you nothing, but which one of y'all wants to go first? Alright, so what we're going to do is have about five minutes of opening statements. In the middle, I will ask some questions they have never seen before, I have never seen before, because I didn't want to read Tom's thing. I wanted to be a surprise to everyone. And then, uh, each of you will alternate, whatever, and then we'll do a roughly one minute closing statement. that sound cool? It sounds great. Sound cool with y'all? Alright, kick it off. Fortnite. <laughs> Is it a period of 14 days? Is it a night where you spend hanging out in a fort? <laughs> or is it a video game? Perhaps a video game where you click a lot and you talk on a headset to teens about all the things that you're clicking. <laughs> to answer that question first, I must explain that this debate is very important to me. The stakes no less than determining which of us Tom loves best. Eric R. or Eric A. <laughs> you see, Eric was the first co-producer of The Skewer, but then he left. And Tom had no one except sometimes Kevin. <laughs> and one magical day, Tom asked me to be co-producer. And even though Tom and I took nice headshots and everything for the book that we produced together, the book was my idea, you're welcome, the sticky photo at the top of the Skewer Facebook feed still showed Tom and Eric grinning, their arms around each other, each with the glowing skin elasticity of young men born in the 1990s. <laughs> and thus I, a hag of the first term Reagan era, feel massively insecure every time Eric is around. I've already explained this to both Tom and to Eric at the Hot Week just the other week. And Eric said, ha ha, he does love me better. And I said, but you left. And Eric said, he never forgot his first. And Tom said, this is so stressful. Who will be my champion producer? And I said, we'll settle this if you can me well. That's how it happened in my very gratifying fantasy. In reality, Eric was like, oh, well, gosh, you, you feel that way. Well, gee, oh, gee, gosh. You know, and Tom was like, this is so stressful. Why is this conversation happening? And then I felt like I was the asshole. And how could that be? Am I the asshole? No. 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 <laughs> to the question at hand, if we pivot, it should be a pivot towards cash, dough, coin, shillings, scratch, money, dollar bills, cheese, cheddar, moolah. Not away from it, as my opponent Eric 
would have you believe. <laughs> Following SEO trends and setting up a simple website with live streams of Fortnite or Skyrim. By the way, Skyrim sounds like the reason I got kicked off that JetBlue five. <laughs> and populating that website with advertisements is something I can actually do. For you see, I was once a fake blogger. What's that? That's when you're living in Brooklyn in 2010 and you have a writing job, and the only writing job you can get is advertised as marketing blogging, but over time you learn that you're writing blogs that no human is meant to read. They're just blogs for Google to read to boost the clout of the client site, and the clients are, frankly, unbloggable. So anyway, you're writing eight to 10,000 words. You're producing a novel per week about kitchen cabinet knobs, paintball guns, adult diapers. What's up? I wrote for adultdiaperblog.com, <laughs> blogging about my passions, adult diapers. So I know how to do this successfully, even if I never set virtual foot in the Fortnite. Like, I actually know how to do this. Unlike my opponent, who doesn't even own a beret or speak French, he's never eaten a baguette, and he believes God is alive, and that heaven is other people. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do any of you like existentialist questions? Don't say yes, you fucking <laughs> French literature is about murdering strangers because you're bored and life is absurd. It's about cultivating resting bitch face and smoking your own hair as a cigarette. <laughs> it's a bummer lifestyle with no glowing blinkies. No clicky-clickies, no dopamine hits, and no money. Camus, Sartre, Descartes, Bois, Foucault, they all died super poor, probably. You don't need to look it up. And they all died super lonely. So terrible. Don't choose loneliness. Choose your friends. Your online friends you quickie clicky with. Or even your friend who's right here. Who's been here? Who did move away? Who didn't leave you? What is Fortnite? It's the future. Our future together. Thank you. self-help books with optimistic titles like The Gifts of Imperfection, The Untethered Soul, and An Idiot's Guide to Modern Friendship, Learning to Stop Being an Asshole and Let People Love You, Volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. In an effort never to be stagnant and constantly improve myself, you know, like how a normal person thinks, not a robot, or how just a lazy, aimless RPG character would act, I have wound up with quite the collection of instruction manuals on how to do exactly the opposite of what I usually end up doing. As you can imagine, the spines of these books are barely bent. They're crammed so tightly together that maybe if I just added another book, I could condense them like a hydraulic press and swallow them whole. Clearly, this is an ineffective strategy for improving oneself. Therefore, one must draw the conclusion that I am a garbage human. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming that I'm not the only one 
someone who feels this way or who has felt that way, not necessarily about me personally, <laughs> though, Erica, you're entitled to your opinion. But hopefully it's a <laughs> relatable feeling for some. See, I look like I fell out of a Venom standalone movie, <laughs> fresh off the Megabus. I don't even have my fiancé's cell phone number memorized in case of an emergency, and I ponder whether I'll ever create a piece of art as culturally significant as David S. Pumpkins or the color pink on Wednesdays. Sometimes I feel like the Magikarp of humans, splashing along with little regard for my health or well-being until something, anything, bumps up against me like this prompt. <laughs> Prior to this, I had never read Sartre or Foucault, and I still haven't, but I'd like someone <laughs> to tell me their impression and understanding of it in vine form. If someone could extol being and nothingness for me in the form of an interpretive dance, or an art installation of the moth and the lamp meme, or a deconstruction of why Dr. Phil insists on keeping the only part of his hair that he has left at this point, I would still walk away with a better understanding of the symptoms. But Eric, have you ever played Fortnite? No, I often do not indulge in what nine-year-olds find entertaining. It's like a cross between Bob the Builder, The Hunger Games, and whatever definition we've settled on for boofing. Eric, you'll love it! You get to build stuff like forts, defend your territory, and kill anything that crosses your path in funny costumes. That actually sounds a lot like Sherman's March uh, on the South, and that's terrible, and I'm concerned for our youth. <laughs> You'll love it, Eric. It's free. Well, yeah, I know a lot of things that are free that are also shit, right? Like Minesweeper and being born a Detroit Lions fan. <laughs> no, I don't play Fortnite. I get the same experience from taking LSD and trying to build IKEA furniture. <laughs> it's pointless and displeases my cat. <laughs> if I wanted to be embarrassed by teenagers and instantly regret all of my life's actions, I would just walk into a high school for like uh, 30 minutes. Game over. The skewer stands alone as a vehicle in which to process the whiplash of the previous month. The only logical next step for us is in our third year to push the art form into new places. First there was John Stewart, and then there was John Oliver. There was a One Direction, and now BTS, whoever that is. Similarly, there was a Chipmunk movie, and then there was the Squeakle, which I'll never not find funny. <laughs> Next thing you know, Ian Rigg, beloved skewer debater, is actually interviewing Nicholas Cage telepathically and Skyping the silent conversation into skewer from a remote location. Tom Harrison has been reduced to using only three phrases throughout the show. Goddamn. Fuck. No. As well as Erica being able to play Fortnite live as a meta-commentary on what wellness means. Whoa. Vanguard. Avant-garde. Anything's possible. <laughs> All right, well, I, being Tom, have questions for you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Eric one first. You please step up. One of the things a lot of serious literary artists do is use Instagram. <laughs> they take photos of typewritten poems with, like, cigarettes or pressed flowers on them. 
How can we use social media to convince everyone we're fancy? Uh, if you're really trying to go avant-garde, you, you really got to step away from Instagram. You, you got to go Snapchat. And I'm not talking about <laughs> Snapchat of the actual show. Just the month in the interim, just like focus on CNN for a good like six seconds and then be like, next time I'm a skewer. <laughs> Mysterious. It sounds more like buying for six seconds, <laughs> which is also probably pretty fucking avant-garde. Thank you for that. Erica, a question for you. We, we might know the trends we need to latch onto right now, but things are always changing. As we get older, it's, it's hard to understand them. How do we make sure we're always on the cutting edge? Oh, I mean, I would just go to Google SEO. <laughs> like, literally, I would just go to the page and you would find out what... You could choose it... Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just answering as Erica right now, but not as like the character of the antagonistic debate person. But Google will tell you what's trending all the time. You can also go on Twitter and find out what's trending there. So it would just be hashtag like Cristiano Ronaldo or whatever kind of Korean superstar is trending or something actually relevant to Fortnite. But whatever's trending, whatever's hot, it's super easy to find that because Google will tell you, and if Google's not telling you, Twitter will tell you, and I would just do what they say. So it's, it's like pretty simple. <laughs> do what large corporations say. say. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay. A key to being a serious and extremely sophisticated spoken word artist is authenticity. We have the handicap of a long history of being comedy goose. How do we overcome our past and avoid being called posers? Street performing. Obviously, you want to go out there before the show and, and just make everybody really uncomfortable. I think that'll really set the, set the stage. I like that. We're going to take up miming. Anyway, uh, you, yes. Rebuttal. Uh, Tom and I actually have already discussed doing street performance of the stage. <laughs> what? Yeah, we have. So let's try that. I think not fresh at all, Ruel. Wait, were you serious? Wait, what? We can talk about it later, but there was a time where we should do an Alfred, we should do a live show at, out, out in the streets, we should take this show to the people, we should be just out there on the street. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't fucking know about that. Thanks. Thanks a ton. Anyway, your question. A, t a ton of the hip and... Okay, okay, I see where this goes. A ton of the hip and successful teen celebrities are weirdly fascist and sexist. And Fortnite is rife with slurs and verbal abuse. Obviously, we would opt out of this part of selling out. Um, but how do we keep our new fans for, for docking us for being SJWs? Oh, I and see. And or cucks. We don't... I see. I see. How do we stay edgy without using the bad words? Yes. How do we stay um, fresh and subversive? I don't know. I think if we give people tips on how to fight their parents or how to how to get one on their parents or steal from their parents or take from their parents' retirement funds, people always get really excited about that. Um, stealing. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I think because if, if we make the parents the true enemy, I think teens will always be on our side. And uh, um, you know, as I keep talking, I think a, a cool joke is going to emerge. And then it doesn't. But uh, I'm not too worried about, um, hey guys, what's up? Yeah. I mean, 
we could, we could teach the kids how to keep their uh, pants in the car so when they go to the mall, right? Swap them bitches. That's nice. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. All right. You got a question. You know how this works. It's alternating. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. No, no, no. It is not. Here's the problem. When I try to do a poem, I do it extremely bad. But I love attention. This That's is really good. good. That's a really good impression. Yeah. Um, I just made it whiny and like attention seeking. <laughs> so, so I'm going to say the, the host anyways. How do I work around my total lack of skill? Isn't that what being avant-garde is all about? God damn. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking slayed that, son! Alright, you got a question. And then we're going to do a double. Okay. Okay, you're ready. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. We're going to have old friends come out, to the wood, uh, come out of the woodwork when we sell out. Going, what happened to you? Don't you care? Were you ever sincere? How do we deal with that? Um. Well, I think we just—I just think we just tell them the truth. We got sick of not having money. <laughs> everyone understands that. People want money, and we'll say this show is really cool, but it was a lot of work, and we weren't getting paid for it, and we wanted to have money. And then all of our our super ethical friends will be like, I do understand wanting food and paying rent, and then we'll be like, See, that's what we want too. And then we cut them in. So you play an hour of Fortnite, you can have the hour's money, and then everyone's getting really happy, and we're all getting rich together. And what could be more wholesome and um, real and American than that? <laughs> all right. So I have a question for both of you from Tom. Um, what are your opinions on gritty? <laughs> uh, the Flyers mascot. <laughs> gritty, yeah. That's what he wanted to ask both of you right now through me. Gritty is the mythical beast that haunts my dreams, but in a good way. Like, it just it's just a reoccurring positive nightmare that, I don't know how that works out, but he's amazing. I hope that the Flyers keep him and that he stays in my heart always. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned before, I am kind of sexually attracted to Gritty. Uh, he's got, and that's that's not a joke. Uh, there's he's got this kind of biker daddy, like Papa, honey, and like I'm gonna take you away from all of this. And then we just I get on the bike, and I just I'm wearing leather all of a sudden. I'm covered in leather, head to toe. And he's got a great helmet for me with something really, really empowering written on it. And we just ride. We just ride all night and ride all day. And it feels like flying. And that's me and Gritty together. And like, his bike is between my legs. And Gritty's got his bear-like arms around me. It's very satisfying. So that's my feelings on it. And I'm glad Tom's not here to hear that. That was very salacious. And he would disapprove of you. You know that. No public horniness. <laughs> but please do look for Erica's, I guess, erotica on Gritty. Um, so yeah, I guess you guys can swap it off with the closing statements. Alright, I'm ready to start it. Alright. Uh, 
so this would work a lot better if Tom was here, but I did not know about that until about two hours ago. So, um, if Tom was here, uh, I would recall for you all as well, two weeks ago uh, we were having a conversation outside of the hop leaf, uh, talking about wanting to use what Tom did with the skewer and shovel quest in his career moving forward. Uh, if you didn't know, we're best friends, uh, have been since freshman year of college, uh, almost a decade ago, uh, and so we go way back, uh, he and I, brings a tear to my eye. Um, <laughs> and to him I say, well, good luck uh, uh, adding, tending to sheep on his resume. That's what will happen if we let Fortnite into the skewer. <laughs> Uh, so wake up, denizens of this dispirited conclave, writers and watchers of our time, co-creators, are you all of this pacifist, anti-fascist support group we call the skewer? Like most things, we must defend what little intellectualism we've retained. The Tao of YouTube is upon us, and if we don't ant up the ante, we languish and fall prey to the zeitgeist. Um, and so while I was uh, looking over the books for my opening, uh, it's a totally real fact that I have a shelf of self-help books, um, I found this book, and um, it it's, isn't necessarily exactly funny, but uh, it's definitely serendipitous enough to close on, and so uh, I hope that uh, you know, the message gets clear. So um, my friend passed away uh, a few years ago, and I had found this book, it's by Buddy Wakefield, uh, Gentleman Practice. Uh, I had traded her a Nice Mojani poetry book uh, for this Buddy Wakefield book, and uh, she signed the inside. And I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look at this, and it, it happened to have a dedication that I felt was at least a little bit um, relevant for for this debate. And so I hope this is also helpful for you all. Um, so this is a dedication by Buddy Wakefield. This book is for people who keep thinking that their work is done. People who've yet to break through the rest of the resistance, who aim to thrive but still get stuck in the excuse. Don't stop arriving. You're almost there. You know the clearing is just ahead. I know because we are happening at the same time. This book is for people who keep showing up to support someone that is unfolding, to bear witness to themselves, to see if something true of heart will happen. And I feel that this is true for us, and I, I feel that this is true for the skewer. And so long with the skewer, thank you very much for coming. Audience. <laughs> My opponent's proposed format change is unwanted and unwatchable. My proposed format change is profitable. Very current, very now. Why should we sell out to underfed intellectuals who are poor? That's not selling out. That's just out. <laughs> Instead, we can sell out to Big Google, who is very rich. My opponent is the past. But look here. I'm the future. It's me. I'm here. I stayed here, and I'm still here. I didn't leave. Thank you. Thank you.
for that closing statement slash threat. <laughs> she is all in. I feel like I have to clear my name. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, all right, so they've been doing all of them words for a prize. The namesake of the show being the skewer. With a little bobble on the end, which makes it special and not just any dime store, literally That's dime store cute. item. That you, what's that? It's new. You got the bubble on the end. That's nice. I like yeah. it. Thank you, Nora. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know we didn't have it until episode two, the actual skewer? Yeah, because he, could, yeah, cause he <laughs> forgot all the skewers in his kitchen drawer. <laughs> yeah, so there was no actual trophy. Anyway, uh, what we need now is an impartial judge, so this is the third time I'm asking for a volunteer. Georgia. Georgia. No, that's not how this works. <laughs> oh, oh, you're impartial. Okay, because you like them. Okay, so how we're gonna do this is we just, we just want a round of applause. Please applaud for both people, even if you think one lost, because it would be very sad if there was no noise. <laughs> anyway, so for those of you who believe Erica is the victor, please clap now. They didn't even listen to that, they would just keep going. So that's a good sign. Eric R. Eric R. I guess is how we pronounce that. If you believe he is the victor, please clap now. than both of you combined, and also because Tom is sick at home more than him as well. Yeah. Every skewer, I am always here. You say that, but when I'm on maternity leave, you're probably going to be at task of doing a lot of the grunt work. And you're find out what this is really all about, buddy. Uh, that was our show for the evening. We're going to be back here November 7th, but what's on November 6th? Hmm. What's on November 6th? What's November 6th? Y'all going to be voting? Yeah! That's right! If you like the show tonight, feel free to drop some extra dollars or some more dollars or the dollars for the first time at the donation box up front. Feel free to interact with me anyway up here. Check out the merch, buy two-for-one books, or sign up for our Dope as Hell email list, and I'll give you some candy. And that's been our show for the evening. I've been your host, Eric Dreisbach, subbing in for Tom Harrison. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can always come to a live show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago, or else uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, like us, review us, do that podcast stuff that you do with podcasts you like. If you want to be on the show, email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.